name is Fortune Teller Baba, and you're listening to the Hermit Style Podcast. Now, where's my brother? I need my 10 zenny back with 57 years interest. Welcome to the Hermit Style Podcast. Talking all about the Dragon Ball Supercard game. From competitive play to the world of collecting, with your host, Jimmy Bacon. Yo, yo, yo! What is up, everybody? (laughs) Hermit Style Podcast. We're back. It is Friday. I don't even know what the date is. It's uh, April 22nd. April 22nd, Friday. Welcome back to the show. We got a special episode today. I have... Two special guests on. Um, this is going to be a special collectors episode. So if y'all remember a while back, we had Top Son Goku on the show and we did Collecting 101. So this is almost going to be like the sequel now. It's like you're graduating. You're, you're getting to move up right to 102. Uh, we got two very special guests, though, and we got a special intro for them that I'm going to drop here. This was <laughs> this was a special request from uh, Chris here next to me. C Irv collects on Instagram. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. No better way to uh, introduce Dar than <laughs> have double strike crit while he's wearing his Planet Vegeta jersey. And we got uh, mythical saying Dar Gib on the show as well. Dar, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We had, uh, and thank you for for staying and not leaving. We had a lot of technical difficulties. <laughs> we were supposed all to start good, uh, just a little over an hour ago. You know, not, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Uh, but no, we, we got a cool show today, guys. We got a bunch of different topics to talk about with collecting. Uh, if you haven't seen the episode or watched the episode, um, where I had Tom on top son Goku, definitely check that out, uh, especially for players out there who are new to the collecting world. I think that will, uh, it'll be a nice precursor for you, but we've got tons of topics. We're going to talk about the God rare. We're going to talk about just grading in general. Uh, we'll get into some different talk about black labels and honestly, a bunch of different topics we picked. So uh, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And these two guys are very experienced with collecting. They know way more than I do. So I wanted to bring them on as the experts so they can they can uh, shed some light that I don't really understand at all. So I'll learn too. <laughs> uh, but with that said, we got a ton of topics. So I'm going to jump straight into the news. News from the lookout. All right, so um, some news, not a ton of news, but a couple a couple big things happened. Uh, one, there was an SCR leak, and I don't even know how much I want to talk about it without Bandai banning me, but <laughs> <laughs> the, they apparently they literally uh, are banning people. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe, maybe people are just screwing around, but uh, apparently they are trying to drop the hammer on anyone who's sharing this card. They better ban everybody in the game because uh, <laughs> I saw it for quite a few people. <laughs> I, I I saw about five different pictures of the same card. Um, so, yeah. So, there were leaks. There's been product that's out now in the wild of the next set. Um, the new SCR looks cool. Uh, I will definitely want it. I don't know how much more I really want to say about it. <laughs> 
publicly. But yeah, if uh, if you care to see it, I'm sure you can find it if you dig hard enough. It shouldn't take long. I like literally when I went to Facebook, it was the first and second post <laughs> on my timeline. <laughs> it was just a picture of the card. Then I went to Reddit. It was the first post. So I'm like, all right, every, everyone, everyone knows it. Um, so if you didn't, I'm sure a friend can help you. Um, but yeah, that's honestly not a good thing. Stores, you need to be careful about not breaking street date. Supposedly that is what happened. So, you know, stores out there, be careful because that's a good way to lose your distributorship. So got to make sure you do not break that street date. But anyways, we got a first like real SCR reveal, right? We got uh, what is it? Oath of Z, I think. It's that OG Dragon Ball Z art. Dar's taking you like it? I love it. Really? Okay. All right. How come? We'll we'll talk about that here. In a okay. Moment. All right. But all right. We'll save it. It has a lot going for it. In, okay. In, from a collector's perspective. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. That'll that'll be very interesting to hear. Chris doesn't look as excited about it. Oh, no, no, I'm excited. I'm okay. Just, <laughs> the fact that he said we'll hold off on that just lets me know what, what what's to come in the future. So I just think that's that was pretty funny to me. But uh, no, it's a pretty good SCR. But yeah, there's been a bunch of other reveals too. You can check them out. They're all on the Facebook page and you can go to the official website. You can actually usually see the reveals earlier if you go to the official website. Like I, I saw them at like, they were posted at like 6 a.m. in the Discord from, from the Dragon Ball website. So they put them up there first. So if you're eager to see them and don't want to wait for the Facebook post, it's usually up there early, early in the morning, at least for us on the East Coast. So uh, let's see. Other than that, oh, and of the reveals too, I you guys know I do not give my opinion publicly on the podcast about like new cards coming out because I think it's kind of silly when we don't know the full set. I will say Namekians are probably going to be very good. Like we're, I'm already working on an Amekian's deck, so that I'm very excited. So Piccolo's time to shine, you know. But uh, all right, we got Hermit style locals are back. So we tried to fire the first one last week, didn't fire, but it was like really late notice. But we do have our second one tomorrow. They were both free ones, so tomorrow it's a free event. If you want to join, jump in the Discord. You can react to my message and registration. You scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little thing that says Hermit style locals. Go to registration, react to my message. And uh, we will, I can't even remember. It's either 12 or one. We start Eastern standard time and just normal format, normal rules, just playing, having some fun. There's no like actual monetary pricing, but you do get some XP in the discord. And this is a practice event for next Saturday. We've got the box tournament. So box seal box of realm of the gods. So if you want to come and compete for that, certainly can uh, it's, you know, as many people want to, I don't expect that we'll have too many that I need to cap it. So not even worrying about a cap, but come and play. Uh, I think it's $11 to jump in and uh, yeah, it'll be fun. All, all the goods go to the winner. So whoever wins gets the full box. It's not getting divvied out. So very top heavy. Um, but we got some other things in there. There's some XP, other prizes. You can check it out again on the discord. If you're not in there, jump in and join. And uh, speaking of which the, uh, what, what was it? Winter? This winter, right? Yeah. This past winter, we did the Hermit Style Winter League. It was a huge hit. We had over 100 participants play, and we did it kind of like Pokemon. It was basically like you going around and collect badges from quote-unquote gym leaders that would play the same deck. So we had like an Android 21 gym leader. We had like a Broly gym leader. And you had to get their badge, and once you got all of them, you could go face off against the Elite Four. Uh, and if you beat the Elite Four, then you got to play in a tournament. So... 
We're bringing it back officially. I can announce it. We are bringing back the Hermit Style Spring League, and it's going to be all based off Yu-Gi-Oh this time. So it's like the OG season of Yu-Gi-Oh with like Duelist Kingdom, getting the star chips and whatnot. So I can't reveal all the details yet or dates, but it is coming very, very soon. I would think either next week or the week after I'll announce it on the podcast. So definitely get excited for that. And the last piece of news before we jump into the main topic today, uh, we had updates to organize play and um, I was sent these. Uh, I was very thankful I was sent these. So this is actually not like, all right, it's not the best thing in the world. Like it's not what we technically need. I did a whole episode recently called Dear Bandai. Um, I don't even remember why I labeled it. Basically, I said, Bandai, please fix your game because organized play is busted. But this is a step in the right direction. So it says tournament organizers may run events using single elimination or Swiss. Level two and three professional events have the choice of utilizing one of the following options, which must be announced to players at the time of event registration. So Swiss, we've got best of one as the as an official format with 35 minute rounds plus five minute overtime. And we've got best of three games, 70 minute rounds plus five minutes of overtime. We also have Swiss plus single elimination. So best of one games, 35 minute rounds, five minute overtime for the qualifying rounds, and then a best of three game finals, which I think is super, super dope. Um, or the whole event can just run as a best of three. But we actually have a format now with best of one. And then the way I read it, best of three, once you hit top cut. So that is really exciting. I like that they took five minutes off overtime and put it in the normal game. I think it's going to make players force them to play faster in overtime and also give you more time in the round to play. So overall, you know, there's a lot more change that needs to happen, but I, I think this is a good change. What do you think, Chris? I think it's a step in the right direction. I'd love to play uh, best of one leading to best of three top cut. And yeah. Best of one top cut makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, that's that's definitely good news. Now, just please get rid of the undefeated rule, Bandai. Go back to set number of rounds. That's what we're all begging for. There's a ton of controversy over that. But, hey, we'll we'll take the small wins. We, we can get them, you know. But, all right, I am done with news. That's everything, at least, that I've seen since the last podcast. So let's uh, let's jump into our main topic here and talk about collecting Dragon Ball. Turtle School Weekly Focus. All right, so... This is it. Big event, right? Um, so I had to bring in these two guys. If you guys don't know, if you, you can go back, listen to the first episode. The first episode of this podcast, weren't you in the room? Yeah, I think I was. <laughs> we're, I, think, I think I was involved in the inception of this whole thing. You were. You were Mike, so. uh, Mike and I were in the room recording, and we kept telling Chris to come on, and he refused to come on the mic. So we've literally been trying to get Chris on the show since episode one. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> you know I just, so I've been waiting for an event to occur so I could, you know, <laughs> kind of do a hybrid talk about the, the competitive side and the collecting side. But Bandai doesn't uh, give us any yeah. events in Virginia. So that, that's that's a that's a good excuse, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but shout out to Dar for pushing him, helping me get him on the show. And we've got Dar on who is just an insane collector. Um, has just an incredible wealth of knowledge. So this is, this is going to be fun. So I'm going to kind of pass this over to you guys. I think the first thing we wanted to talk about was just in general, the God rare, its collectability, its value and things like that. So I'll, I'll pass the stick over. 
Chris, you want to start us off? <laughs> so no, I'll let you start. You have a lot to say, so you you have a lot of enemies to I'm make. Damn, so go ahead. I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't on this part because like, <laughs> everybody knows that I'm a Vegeta fan. So it's like it seems like biasness. But I like I want to talk about it in in a context that's just what we've seen so far. <laughs> we've we've seen this card just hit the market and for like the first time that I can ever remember it's doing the opposite of everything that every other card has done which has gone up. Now I don't necessarily agree with it going up and I think there's some factors that kind of go into it and why it's going up. Um some of them are artificial and some of them are real but the card itself is a home run for multiple reasons. One, it's the first new rarity. Second, it's the second most popular character to Goku. I'm not going to take anything away from Goku. I know that he is the main, he's, he's the Charizard, <laughs> if you will, of our game. Um, and it's just in a jam-packed set. Like There are not many sets that I think touch Realm of the Gods from a collector's standpoint. And having all of those things make it very desirable. Um, and I, I just think it's going to be like one of those cards that's going to be a maintained stay in like the top tier of collectible cards for us. Yeah, uh, I agree. So I kind of have a, a different, <laughs> different I kind of have a different approach than Dar, though. I, I do think that this card was a home run, but uh, after further eval eval evaluation, I don't know if it's. Uh, it's not my top two, that's for sure. So, you know, um, the big thing with the God Rare is that, you know, we have a, a theoretical 1 in 10 uh, rate of pulling it in a case. So that's yeah. our big barrier of a God Rare. Um, I mean, at this point, that's like basically confirmed, confirmed. without being confirmed, right? So, one, 1 in 10 cases. So the best thing going for it uh, is this rarity being a God Rare, if, if that means anything to anyone. And um, the fact that it's 1 in 10 cases. So its acquisition cost is pretty high. Um, so, you know, I, I scale this based on a, a typical good SCR. We, we value at about $300, of one in 18 box pull rate. Um, you know, to me, independent of external factor scales, the, the God rare at a raw cost of about $2,100. Uh, so when they were being sold for 900 to a thousand, uh, at a buy it now price on the auction center, that was free. Uh, that was, that was an easy buy for me. I don't think the 500, $750 valuations will ever come. Um, at twenty one hundred dollars uh, raw price, I think there's a lot of external influences that will be barriers to it maintaining that. Uh, so I'm not saying that I agree with it staying at that price, but I don't think those barriers will drop it sub a thousand dollars. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to lose half your value off. No, of no. At this point, no. I feel like I mean I don't know. I I don't know as much as you guys, right? But. I feel like you've seen the sales, right? Mm -hmm. Like no one's going to be like, oh yeah, I'll take 900 at this point. No like, no, yeah. like you, there's been too many sales that have been too much. Like that's too much money to be playing with and be like, all right, bro, I'll hook you up and take like, you know, a grant, like a grand. What? 100%. That sounds crazy. And if you go What's back. Is like, Chris, I mean, Chris knows this too. Cause like I really compared it since you guys, I know you guys don't like Digimon, but I still collect it. And I was trying to logically like put it into perspective of like, what kind of card I thought it would be. And I thought it would be like Ghost Omnilon, right? And when Ghost Omnilon first came onto the scene, like there were sales between four to 500. And I was like, okay, like maybe it's going to be only like one in two or one in three cases. And it's not going to be that hard to obtain. And then like 
I was talking to Chris and like every other week I felt like it just kept going up and I was just like, I need to not drag my feet anymore and just <laughs> get this card while I still can. Definitely uh, went against his uh, rule. That's for sure. <laughs> I, did. I did go against my rule. Yeah. But it, it's, there's also factors into it that I really don't like that I feel like some of our, our better known shops have had like multiple copies and they'll only list like one at a time. Yeah, and they do that to, to drive that force up. Mm -hmm. So it makes people think there's like a scarcity problem, like we're not on the market. Because this is like the first card that I can also remember, like not seeing like at least like, you know, 15 to 20 listings of like at, out of there the There was nothing, like, it's just, like nothing. Like, there it was, was just, nothing. Yeah, just a waste. Stimulating a demand, 100%. They're definitely trying to drive it. So, and, and I get it from a brick and mortar store perspective, but I think it also sets a very dangerous precedent. Like as much as I'm happy to have one, like I don't want to keep going through this process of every God rare that comes out where it's just like, you know what? I want 2K because it's a God rare. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, and I, I feel like that's okay. where we're headed. I feel like that's where we're headed now. You know, I actually think that started with uh, Ultra Instinct Level 2 Judge Leader. Uh, they were stimulating demand, putting a little bit out here and there, and you know there's a 1-1 one -one ratio. Every Level 2, it comes in Level 2 packs. So uh, that started there. Um, but, yeah, so the, the big thing with that the God has going for it, uh, and is also kind of the worst thing it has going for it, is uh, – kind of the the player sentiment i mean the players are the people opening these you know that high volume players and shops collectors aren't opening that high volume they're not they don't no. need all those cards yeah. so you know a lot of players were on the the wrong end of awakened power a lot of players you know were in the game early they sold it to some a collector someone else for fifty dollars hundred dollars whatever it may be and they saw the awakened power go from 1k to 2k to 10k so <laughs> you know there is a huge psychological uh you know, influence of the awakened power on the God rare because it. You don't want to miss out. Yeah. I mean, look at Jordan, right? When he sold exactly. the, uh, the, the, the first Nats winner card, whatever the, was it the Shenron? I think he sold that. And then it ended up going for like five times what he sold it for. Yep. hundred percent. Well, so, that feels terrible. So, you know, some people are pulling the God rare and they want to just do a quick flip. But if you look at the, the sales volume on eBay, and, you know, the listing is really not that much volume uh, relative to the amount graded. I mean, we have a whole lot of uh, PSA 10s and BGS 10s, and, you know, we're reminded every day about it. But uh, they're not listed. They're, they're just yeah, not. I, I'm a, I have the pop reports up right now. As of today, we have 37 God Rares for Beckett and uh, 56 10s for PSA. Whoa. that All right. That's nuts because I got some numbers. And, uh, I won't disclose how, but <laughs> I got some numbers and I am guesstimating by doing some, just, you know, some, some mathematics, some, <laughs> some educated predictions, um, and looking at, you know, amount of products sold. And this is strictly for North America. There's roughly, I believe 700 ish God rares in North America. About total based on like how much product was printed and sent out to shops opened. And this is all based off the one in 10 case rate mm -hmm. this is also assuming that premium packs are from the same pool. Mm -hmm. 
like if they're from a different print pool, then that's different. But I've heard that's not the case. They just jam packs in there is what I'm told. I don't know if that's true or not. I feel like premium packs are hitting better than boxes these days. <laughs> like, I don't know how many people I saw hitting the SCR or the God Ram from premium packs where I saw like mad people opening up three cases and getting Mira left and right. It's crazy. I can't prove it. Honestly. Yeah. But I just feel like, I feel like the premium packs this time around were a little bit more loaded because I never hit an SCR from any period of time from set one till now. And then somehow I got Vegeta three times out of premium packs. That is nuts. I, I think luck may have just been on your side. I don't know. Cause like I opened about 20 premium packs and I literally, I think pulled maybe one SPR or two. <laughs> Like cool. it was terrible, well, but see what I'm told is so they literally just randomly just jam booster packs into these premium packs and that's it. Like, so there's no rhyme or reason. It could be from any case, any pool. So like there could be a ton of broken cases, a ton of duds. And that, that's what I hear a lot too. It's like people hit, cause in set 10, I bought four premium packs and pulled two SCRs. Well, that's crazy, right? I think from from what I've opened, and I like I'm one of those few collectors who like I like to pull my own hits. Like so, I do open up a good bit of product. Um, I feel like I at least normally out of the four packs get at least an SR. Sometimes, like every once in a blue moon, I'd say like maybe twenty five percent of the time I don't get anything, but at least an SR is usually guaranteed in those four packs. I wish that was for me. That's because uh, Pittsburgh gets all the broken cases. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Beach does not. Oh been, uh, I missed all sets. So. But yeah, so, you know, further further along about the God Ray, you know, the sentiment about Awakened Power is what it has going for it, but it, in my opinion, it also is a huge detriment because, um, you know, if this card came out when T.O.P. came out, hands down, this is the most rare card we have. Uh it always depends on product availability, but in my opinion, if I have cases, I'm not opening cases. I'm just holding them. I'd rather hold yeah. them for a premium than take the chance. It's, it's rush roulette. There's no point. So, yeah. um, so if it came out when TOP came out, 100%, this is the card. But, you know, as a collector, we, you know, we have anomalies, which are black labels. You know, those, that, there's no, uh, market trend with black labels black labels are what they are uh but high-end collectors look for bgs tents and so the the problem is is that you know the god rare may be the most least available card ever but it already has more bgs tens than hope of universe 7 there's no way it doesn't have more bgs tens than awakened power by the end of this and uh see what's awakened power at right now awakened power is at 52 52 yeah so yeah yeah it'll pass it you know availability matters but when there's so much in circulation to me the pop report matters more um you, you know because we've heard numbers 5000 awakened power 10000 awakened power no one knows how many awakened power there is and honestly you you can't uh prognosticate that all you can do is look at the pop report and see uh, what its conversion rate is and how many exist and what you want so you know and also for uh for our listeners what what is a pop report so when you uh, grade cards, you grade with a certain grading company, and they keep record of whatever grade you got for uh, that card. So Beckett's pop report is terrible, but they have one in PSA <laughs> has a pop report as well. So it, it's basically uh, traceability of your graded cards. 
And so, you cool. know, the God Rare is probably the least available card, has the, the hardest pull rate, but as a high-end collector, there's going to be more available for me to buy than there is uh, the alternative. So to me, the, the God Rare reminds me a lot of Apex of Power. Apex of Power, you know, we have a whole lot of BGS 10s, but we, it's one of the few cards we uh, have less PSA 10s in Awakened Power than BGS 10. And uh, that's because people were grading it when it was still in great quality. And uh, the God Rare, as you know, everyone's grading it once they pull it. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's less in circulation, but there will be more tents. And as a collector, that's what I look at. Yeah, and I, the pop report does matter, but I think that overall we're going to see eventually that there's going to be overall less God Rares than APs in circulation. If let's just say that we're now worried about 100 cards, let's just say that the the God Rare gets another 100 next month, and then another 100 next month, and then maybe like 50 ish going into the Zen custom. That's still going to be so much smaller than the 1K APs that we have in circulation for whatever between like nines and tens and eights and sevens and PSA or whatever. Like it's going to, you're going to have more access to AP at any given point probably than you're ever going to have for the god rare the other argument that i hear against the god rare is that it's not goku and i do think once we get a gdr <laughs> goku that's going to be like the card like if they let's say that they give us argument like over. perfected ultra instincts <laughs> against moro like that's going to be a card that everybody's going to want that's going to be probably the most sought after card but do i think that this card could potentially stay long term above where Awakened Power is, I do think it could happen. So, uh, Darren Jim, that lets me <laughs> pose this question to you. So, you know, let's say we have 5,000 Awakened Power in circulation. You know, we have perfect knowledge, and let's say we have 1,000 okay. God Rare in circulation. Okay. Let's say Awakened Power has 60 BGS, 10 God Rare has 90. Which one gets the higher premium when you go to buy a card? Mm. The one that has the lower pop. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And this is going to be the question that people are, you know, going to be posed to answer uh, because there's no doubt God Rare will have more BGS 10 than Awakened Power by the end of this. and But there probably will be less in circulation. So this will be a question to answer. Um, you know, my prediction... And the, oh, go ahead. I, th I think one of the things, too, like, you're talking a lot about BGS, too. If you can't get a BGS 10, like, they're, the PSA rate is super high like if you look at an awakened power for bgs the 10 rate is only 15 percent. but if you flip that to psa it goes all the way up to 61 percent. whoa that's crazy it's pretty high but i mean I, I had an awakened power i sent it and it was a 10 so and i'll, I'll for lead this with i'm only speaking with uh bgs 10 because that's like the premium uh collector card that you get so psa you know psa is kind of Difficult to assess. I think there will be less PSA 10 God Rares than Awakened Power uh, PSA 10s. So it's similar to how Apex is now. So it's going to yeah. be a it's going to be a very strange. Uh, can we call that a phenomenon where we have more BGS 10s because people are grading it once they pull it, but we have less total. Yeah. Yeah. So it really depends on I, how many. That's crazy want. to think about too, because like there's probably like at least five times more. Awaken powers, right? Like I think I say, say at least five times more of that than the God Rare. 
technically it could be 10, but I don't know. From a, from a collector's perspective, what the day, like they announced this card, I was like, no one's ever going to put those in decks. Mm-hmm. And he corrected me real quick and was like, you underestimate how much players want to flex. Oh, bro. You if I was playing red, I'd, I'd play it. The the first tournament where it was available to play, John Carlo on Team Hermit style was on stream, beating people with the God Rare left and right. <laughs> I couldn't imagine putting that thing in the deck. Just see, thinking I'm gonna like something to it. He he has collected. I was in I was jumped in the Discord, saw another guy just playing with the God Rare. I said, dang bro, hit me up when you want to sell. Because that ain't near mint anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So, so for me, I, I think, uh, you know, Awakened Power will still remain the, the premium. BGS 10, it, it will stay at the mountaintop. But I think uh, the PSA 10 numbers with the God Rare suggest that it, it will it will maintain a good price point. Chris is just cracking me up, bro, because he's so prepared for this. <laughs> I know, he has all these, like, little... I, I go back and look all the time. <laughs> So, but it's definitely going to drop in the short term. No doubt it's going to drop yeah, in the yeah, short term. Yeah, the market will be saturated. It's going to drop, but I think it'll stay, step its way up. I, I just, I don't see. Can you say it again? I don't see that there's that? ever going to be a time that people are just going to want to like get rid of like their God rares though. I just feel like people are holding tight on them. So like, I feel since we have so many less, like nobody's going to, for collectors, Whenever people were jumping in and you guys were like getting out, people like me were buying up stuff cheap, right? And I, I'm not somebody that's gonna like resell. Like I don't I don't like the hassle of dealing with like reselling, especially with um like mass quantities or anything. But like this is the first card that you can't just buy out, grade a bunch of tens or grade a bunch of nine point fives, dump on the market, create a new price point. Like we've only seen what, one sale for the ten for a god rare? And it's very close to what a BGS 10 is for AP. And it's going to eclipse the same market. It's like it's going to have more 10s in circulation and it's already there. That's the problem I think that people are having to like justify. But I, like I said, I don't, I don't want the Godware to stay at these high prices just because I think it's going to set a bad, a bad tone for the rest of us and all of them going forward. I just need Chris to repeat what he said about it. it what do you say with value is going to happen? Right now, it's gonna go where? So, in my opinion, in yeah. the short term, yeah, yeah, you know, uh-huh. uh, our God rare will go will naturally go down. I mean, go the market's down. gonna be saturated. Go uh, down. So, you know, hey, listen, all y'all out there with the God rare, I need one. You know, so don't let that happen. Let you know. Let me put you know, give you give you some cards, put some money I mean, in your pocket, well, hit, hit me up, hit, hit your boy up. You're alienating I a lot of buyers. Oh, <laughs> there will be people that are gonna dump them whenever. I think the next God rare comes. So like, let's say let's, let's speculate that the next God rare is some type of, uh, Vegito or Gogeta. People are going to want that card. And what's the easiest way to get that next card? Trade. Is Trade up. <laughs> See, but so th- that's some of the counter position I have is that, you know, uh, at this kind of price point for a raw god rare, you're no longer talking your conventional collector. You're talking your high-end collector, investors. These are the kind of people that are putting 2K into a card. Um, are those kind of people the kind of – or people that actually pulled it, want to hold it for long term? Those people, their investment was the box price, the case price, the premium pack price. Very low investment. So the people that are actually paying the premium are people that you know are investors or hard uh, collectors. 
do you think that those people need to sell it off when the new God Rare comes out? Because I don't actually think the new God Rare will have much implication on the old one's price. I think it will almost act independent. It, it may act independently, but we know this to be like, and I, like, I don't want to seem like I'm like shitting on other collectors, but like, I know a lot of collectors. No, go for it, bro. But, <laughs> That's what we do. That's like, the point. <laughs> they're like, you know what? I just got this pop six card or this pop 10 card, or pop 15 card, and it's like my holy grail of cards. And they'll own it for less than 24 to 48 hours to dump it for the next hot card. So, like, their Instagram might be full of like really expensive, rare cards. But they don't own all those cards. Yeah. They're using them as a means to get to the next thing. Yeah. De- de- definitely Whereas, that like, collector people, exists. 100%. There's, where there's people like me and Chris who are like really chasing cards that we want. Like I'm a completionist. I want every set card. I want every promo like that I can get that's maybe not exclusive tournament promo, like high-end stuff. But like there's, there's a, a whole different collector group that like kind of gets lumped in with like us. Where like they're just moving a lot of pieces really fast all the time, chasing those big name one of one cards that are black labels or high end world stuff or stuff like that. So one thing I, I just want to pull you back and then maybe we maybe we'll start moving to the next topic. Mm-hmm. Um but one thing, could you explain what you mean? Uh you said earlier like this is one of the first cards. You can't just like buy them up, grade a bunch. And then dump them. Can you just like go in a little more detail on like what that means and how you do that as a collector? Because I think that's probably some. Uh, <laughs> that's a, we'll see because that's something like as a player that's would a never. Setup. Yeah. Well, hey, bro, l- listen. <laughs> a player would never understand that though, right? Like, we, no, they yeah. like a player listening probably has no idea what you mean. Like, what when collectors do that? Yeah. So what collectors will do is because, like Chris said, we're we're chasing tens. So, like, whenever you see, like, somebody upset about, like, being, like, 0.5 away, like, I was bitching on Instagram not that long ago, <laughs> um, you, like, you want to have that 10 in your collection because it just, one, it looks better, and you just want the highest that you can get. It's all psychological. In so, like, there are, there's, I mean, there's two ways about it. I'm not going to go and buy a bunch of cards out to to grade multiple copies, but that's probably the most strategic way to do it. So let's say that you're, you're chasing, uh, I don't know. What, what's a good card right now, Chris, to, to chase? Uh, Goku Freeze, because I actually did this recently. The Freeku? Okay, so let's say you want to get Freeku and Black Label. If you, right now, there's actually not that many copies on TCG Player, but whenever, like, Crossbeard first jumped out, there was like probably like 20 listings or so. If you have the capital on hand, and you go to TCG player and you say, all right, I'm going to offer people on Facebook 80% of that. And then I'll also buy a couple copies from here. You get yourself five to 10 copies. If you're a baller, maybe you get 20 copies. You send all of those copies into BGS. If you are sending in probably 20 copies, you don't even need to have a good eye with collecting. You can just basically assume that one of those 20 is going to land. So then once you got your 10 to make your money back, you flip around and you sell all the nine fives, or if you have excess tens that you want to move into getting something else for your collection, you can dump them onto eBay or Mercari or Facebook or wherever you want to. And then you just kind of keep repeating that process to cycle so that you ensure that you have your tens and you kind of keep yourself in a good position. And just for some context, I've seen no card in our uh, card game uh, withstand 
their price point before the drop except for Awaken Power. Every other card I've ever seen dumped, their price, uh, at least one and a half. Awaken Power, it happens. It'll go down a little bit, and it'll sustain. It'll be resilient. It'll go back up. So, you know, we're comparing something proven versus something speculative. So, with, with the God Rare, had to tie it back with that. No, that's super interesting, though. I think that I think that's valuable information, especially for people, because there's been people in the Discord who are who have mm-hmm. been intrigued by collecting the game. You know, especially as we go more and we get some of these more collectible pieces, um, and some of them might be chasing a ten. So, you know, just to know their options on if they have that kind of, you know that kind of money to drop and just say, okay, I'll, I'll buy 20 of this card, get a 10 and then sell them. I mean, is that right or wrong? I don't think it's wrong. Like, I think it's just a way to, it's a to str- get, it's, a strategy. it's just a strategy. Like if you got the money and the cards on the market, sure. Why not? And truthfully, if one person yeah. can tank the market, then the game's not that big. Yep. So really it just goes to show that our collector base is very small and that's and why. I'll, and that honestly, the market as a whole is controlled by a small group of people. Yeah. I mean, it's the same yeah. people buying and selling all the time. And it, it, sh- it doesn't take long to figure out who those people are. Like, if you're active in the groups. <laughs> like, you you know you know the people really controlling the prices of the cards. The raw and the collector market have different different sharks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take long to know who the sharks are. So. No. The game is, like you said, the game just isn't that big. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I didn't mean to derail us too much. I just thought that was interesting, what you brought up. And I think that's something that maybe players don't think about as much. And when they're talking about buyouts... You know, there's buyouts that players do because they know a card's playable and they want to make money. There's buyouts that collectors do, maybe for the same reason, but also for that reason, you know. And then there's also buyouts of people just just basically just market manipulation. Fundamentally, it's all about uh, investment, return on investment. I mean, you not you, but uh, a player would do it because, you know, you think your card will go up 10 times. A black label multiplies your card quite a bit. So people talk about like common foils and things from sets all the time. It's just like penny stocks. Yep. Yep. It's that's, just like penny, it it's like if someone went and bought in Clash of Fates all of the foil assimilates, they're rich right now. Yep. Right? Like that card was probably pennies, maybe a dollar tops. They're selling I I know because I just had to buy a set and I paid a hundred dollars. <laughs> collector market moves exactly the same as a player market it's just uh lower volume higher scale so let's uh let's i think that's a good segue just integrating in general um and i think we've kind of already started to talk about it some but i know this was like a specific topic you guys want to talk about like grading the difference between the companies how to choose just kind of like a little bit more in depth than i got last time with tom uh, I'll let Dar lead it because he actually is coming off a, a BGS order this week. So, oh baby, what'd you, what'd you get? Fresh. I got a Stephen Pallet doo doo. That's what I got. <laughs> His name's Mister Nine Point Five. After <laughs> this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to take that from our man. Um, yeah, so I I do like Chris. Pretty much, you you just pretty much stick with BGS at this point, right? Um, for the most part. I have a split collection. Anything I, I don't intend to, to move in my sets, like uh, signatures, Judge Volume 1, stuff like that, that I, I really want to keep in my collection are always PSA. My favorite cards are BGS. And naturally, okay. you want your favorite cards in Black Label if you can get it. Yeah. So I, I'm i a big cross-collector, as you guys know. I collect Dragon Ball. I collect Pokemon. I collect Digimon. I collect some Gundam stuff. Um, I have done a pretty split between PSA and BGS and they both have like their pros and cons to me on 
why you would use them. Um, I personally prefer PSA slightly more just because I think that they have a lot of things going more for them. But like BGS, like Krista said, they have the black label, which is what everybody is coveting. And everybody wants that BGS 10 because they're, they're trickier to grade with. You don't necessarily go into a BGS sub unprepared. Like you could, you could, and I don't want to say you can for that for PSA as well, but you have a better chance at landing the 10 with PSA than you do with BGS. And I really haven't done any super with CGC, so I don't know if I should really chime on them. I've only ever done vintage <laughs> Pokemon with them. And there's a lot of controversy with them right now, too, which we can touch on because I know some of our, our friends on Instagram would love to hear about that. Well, before we get to there, like what what made you guys pick? Like just in general, like what made I mean, I guess that could be like a really long answer, but just like what are just some basic things if you've got someone who, you know, they're, they're a player, but maybe they held on to that awakened power that some SIGs, you know, maybe they have some SCRs they like, or maybe like they won a tournament, like maybe they like won a regional and they're, they're the one of the like, you know, eight people in the world holding on to the emperor's death beam that they won't sell me. So, you know, what to those people that want to grade, right? Like what should they be looking into to say, okay, this is, this is the company for me. Cause I want to move into being a more serious collector. I want to preserve these cards and I want to I want to get them in a slap. So for me personally, if it is something like a, a rare price card or something of, of low uh, quantity, I'm probably sending the PSA unless I think it has a chance to black label because I care about the pop report. Uh, a lot of cards like that, you know, your premiums based on your uh, population and BGS pop report is terrible. So if it's kind of a cheaper card that you really like, like SPR or, or anything of that nature, I'm going uh, back it with Black Label all day because that gives it a premium over what it would have at PSA. Um, a lot of times I choose Beckett for my favorite cards because I think Dragon Ball print quality is so good that uh, PSA, no knock to, <laughs> to, to PSA fans, but I think PSA 10s <laughs> tend to be a little too easy. So, you know, I don't grade with PSA at the same uh, volume because... I expect every card that I want with PSA to be 10s already. Whereas Beckett, it's a lot harder to get your 10s. So I, I, I grade express services so I know I secure my 10 before I move on. So um, that's really ex- sets that I really like. I, I grade with PSA because I don't have the resolve to grade with BGS. You know, to get a signature set in BGS 10 and grade yourself is very difficult. Um, and and then that's a, you'd, you'd force yourself to do that every signature set assuming we get some, and that's just something I, I don't have the uh, resolve to do. So it's very expensive. Um, if you have anxiety, choose PSA. <laughs> because I don't know, man. Our order went, went real south. <laughs> yeah, but if you, if you did an exp- uh, a standard or a uh, lower service order with Beckett, you would have been way worse because even back then they didn't even wow. tell you they had. There that's were, crazy. There was three standard oh, orders. I didn't know they had it for like three or four months. So you just, yeah. you just have the tracking and it says delivered and that's it. That's crazy. So if you have anxiety, uh, don't choose BGS. <laughs> their, their process is absolutely terrible. Their pop report is terrible. Uh, PSA, the card shows better. Everything's really terrible about BGS except you have the prospect of a black label and uh, that matters more than the rest. Yeah. Okay. When you Basically, have a card that qualifies. If you're trying to make money, BGS is the way to go. But you have to just prepare yourself for heartbreak along the way because... Like, there's going to be situations where you're going to be like, this card looks exactly like my 10 that I already have. 
I'm going to send it in. I'm going to do my thorough inspection. I got my light on it, making sure there's no chips in the foil. It's well centered to my eye or on you have your grading tool with the centering and they can still slap a 9.5 on you. way or it could be like 9.5 or something and you're just like sitting there and you're playing like guessing games like what did i overlook and like some of some of our friends are like bgs fans so like i'm trying not to like slaughter them but sometimes i I feel like one when i'm on the (laughs) other end of him (laughs) hey this this podcast all about not holding back you know that's why we made it yeah they just they just they're a little bit to me more inconsistent and i do think that they try to keep populations a little bit lower and i think a lot of it has to do with just like sheer volume like psa gets so many cards if you look at like gem rate on instagram like they'll show like how many cards are going into places like psa just went through a million cards last month a million cards like beckett probably isn't clearing that in an entire year and they're doing that in a month PSA has the capability, if they wanted to right now, they could probably expand to other regions. They could probably put something up in Europe. They could probably put something in Australia. They could probably put something in Asia. BGS doesn't have those capabilities. BGS does have the black label and their tens are coveted because they're low pop. But when you're looking in the grand scheme of things, people who are sports collectors, people who are Yu-Gi-Oh collectors, people who are uh, Pokemon collectors, they're sending all of their high-end stuff to PSA because that pop report, like Chris said, really matters. And BGS is it's kind of a mess, and their customer service just isn't that great. To be like quite frank, it just isn't. So I mean, if you are going with PSA, you're going the safer route. You'll probably have better shot at a ten, but your card's not going to get the premium that a BGS card would. Okay, that that I think that's some really good insight. I think for people who are trying to pick, though, that's like. That's a lot more than even I knew, right? So, so if you don't have a lot of money and you're, uh, you know, uh, go and you don't have a lot of experience, go PSA. Like if you don't have the the financial backing to send multiple copies and you really want to attend, just go PSA. Or or the experience because, you know, I sent my Trunks Vegeta to Beckett. Normally I would, you know, I, I'm a hypocrite. I would do PSA, but it looked like a black label, so I sent to Beckett. When it, you have yeah, a prospect of a black it, right? label, yep, you got it right there, right? I do. Let, 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 let's see it. When let's there's the prospect of a black label, uh, you this don't. This crazy. PSA. This shit is nuts. I mean, it was perfect, and I they, get uh, nervous with this in my house. Yeah, that's <laughs> that big crazy. Time. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Very lucky. So, and one of the things that I, and I'm going to chime in on CGC here a little bit because we like. I don't know if Chris has ever experienced them or or whatnot, but like whenever they first burst onto the scene, when everybody was like shut down and they were like clowning the other companies because they were getting too many cards and all that stuff, like they were kind of doing what EGS did. Like they were trying to be really strict, right? And then they started losing money as those companies started opening things back up, right? So like as those companies started opening things back up, then CGC started popping up a lot of tens. So like the guys who were sending them a bunch of cards early on were getting burned with all these fives and then seemingly they did a 180 and started being a little bit better because the recipe to success is keeping your customers happy right so if your your pop report only reflects like five percent tens what's the incentive for me to keep going back to you whenever i'm going to have to turn around and basically sell that that card at the cost of whatever because or crack and send to psa anyway <laughs> yeah. that's what people tend to do i mean 
but it gets expensive when you're just yeah. constantly cracking cases. You know what I mean? Like yep. it, maybe not with them because their their rates are still cheap. But like if you're sending to, to Beckett or PSA and say you're setting with subs um, for a standard right now, you're like that's fifty bucks every time. So like whereas like when I was grading Pokemon with my buddy BLT, like I would be able to send him like 20, 30 cards at a time. Now I'm sending him only like five or six cards. So what is like, so what is the incentive though, to go to a company that isn't Cause I feel like PSA and Beckett, they're like the two, right? Like they're like, they're like at the top, like they're, you know, it's, it's Android and Apple, right? Like you pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. So like no one's out there like, I don't know, like, where's this Windows phone at? You know what I mean? Like, no, no one's going into to any phone store asking that. So what, why would anyone, that's a Dragon Ball collector specifically, because I know CGC is like more widely, not respected, but just popular, I guess, in other areas, other hobbies. Like, I think they do comics and things, but. Yeah, uh, they do. Okay. So, so like, what, what is the incentive to go to a different company like them or I see like a bunch of these small ones popping up. Like uh, this one, AGS is always popping up on Instagram for me. They're doing like robo grading. Um, well, what do you, how do you feel about these other smaller companies? I don't necessarily have a problem with CGC, but they're not going to command the premium because they came to the game too late compared to PSA and BGS. So like if you're sending to them, I think it's probably more just because you want to like encapsulate your card and protect your card. And I don't think that they're, their like their slabs are really nice they're crystal clear whereas like beckett's they have the the best labels in the game but their cases are a little bit like foggy because of their like their sleeve is i don't know it's 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 hard to explain but like it can be like a little cloudy looking whereas like cgc doesn't have that but i think you're just using those like sgc ags cgc you're probably just using them as like a temporary placeholder to protect your card honestly yeah, 100% agree. Unless it's for uh, cheap encapsulation, there's really no incentive. I, okay. I think that, you know, you, you could save money by grading uh, with them and, and trying to flip, but it's too difficult to flip. It's not worth the effort, in my yep. opinion. See, that's good to know. Because I know, I know I already see people, like, in, mm -hmm. in, in my Discord who are, like, newer to it, and they're like, well, why would I go to PSA? Like, I can just go to this random company. They're doing, like, $10 card orders, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, I can just go get this. I love this card. I'll get it graded. And I didn't know. I was like, I don't like why, like why not? So if, if they just want cheap encapsulation, it makes sense. If not, there's, no, there's like, no value I haven't really, yeah. or, or we it's haven't really local to them. Oh, go ahead. PSA doesn't use the decimal system. So like if a card would be leaning towards like, like if, if most of the categories were probably like a nine, five, like they'll round you up. Whereas like the other two companies, they use that decimal system. So like sometimes it can work in your favor, but sometimes it can work against you. And that's kind of the gamble of going with like a CGC because their 9.5 is not going to be valued or looked at in the same light as like a BGS 9.5. So it's going to be harder to find that collector who wants that particular label in that particular company who's maybe already started like like what Chris and I, like I grade all of my secret rares through BGS. I don't want to mix and match my secret rares with a CGC slab. Especially now that they lack the requirements. Um, I don't want to touch a CGC slab, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so the way I'm understanding then it's like, 
if you're just doing it with no intent to ever sell, you just want it for yourself. You just go with whoever you like. It doesn't matter. Go with what's cheap. What you looks know, cheap good. and looks good. Choose if, the pirate slab. And then, hey, you know, got to got to shout out <laughs> Joku. Joku. Yeah. Love the pirate slabs. <laughs> um. And then, I mean, what makes sense to me though is you just pick the one you like the best, and then if you ever wanted to sell the card, you just crack it and sell it to that company and hope that the one you sent to was accurate, right? Or that wh whoever you send to PSA or Beckett that that grader's you know accurate. Yeah, I I think PSA is going to be fully open by the end of the year, so like we're going to probably see like even more traffic to them and like whatever spills over will probably go to like other companies like BGS. Like Chris said, will still get the the probably the people that are chasing those black labels and stuff, but I think it's only going to go continue to go crazier for PSA, just the direction they're heading. And like, I mean, this thing, like, think about it. They like they got Jay Z on their side. Like, <laughs> that's crazy, right? Uh, PSA is uh, that's nuts. That is nuts. No one can can compete with them. I mean, their process alone makes them number one. Yeah, and, yeah, secu I mean, and like, security. To me, like I, I, I like to put them as like I say, BGS is LeBron. They're absolutely great, but like if we're talking the goat, like PSA is Michael Jordan. <laughs> Chris's face. No, no, I'm, I'm on board with that. But All right. you're starting more debates with others. So. <laughs> Good job. <Yeah. laughs> um. All right. Well. Speaking then, um, you know, we, we've been referencing the black label a lot, and I know that was another topic. We've kind of started to discuss it some, but just to kind of bring that to light, I know you guys wanted to dive a little deeper into just specifically black labels. Yep, so uh, black label from Beckett is the highest premium you can get on a card. Uh, Dragon Ball cards grade pretty well, so it's very attractive to have a black label in Dragon Ball. Um, it just means that every parameter that they grade off of, centering, edges, corners, and uh, surface, all get tense. Um, the problem with black labels, though, is that, um, you know, Beckett doesn't really have a, a standard for centering that anyone knows. And I honestly think it's at the discretion of whatever grader has it at that time. I, I don't think there's actually a set-in-stone standard. You can look at two black labels of the same card, and you cannot find... Uh, consistencies with their centering. I think they're very good with, you know, corner surface and edges when it comes to assigning tens. But when it comes to centering, uh, you know, it seems like they're, they're pop controlling a lot of times. So, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, are black labels overrated? How many uh, pristine tens qualify for a black label? So but when you say that, when you say pop controlling, so basically what you're saying is like, they're basically trying to artificially change the number of black labels by using centering because there's no actual parameter like that you can see and like say, okay, this has to be in this exact point, like down to the millimeter mm -hmm. on the card every single time. They don't have that. So they can just make that a subjective reason yep. to not give a black label and then artificially inflate the price of the black label by decreasing the number and making more people want to chase it because that value's there. Yep. Is that, am I... Yep, okay. Exactly. And, you know, Pokemon and sports and other things, you know, there's centering is easy. There's a defined criteria. I mean, it, it's a border. But for Dragon Ball, a lot of times you don't have cards with borders. So uh, even us collectors that are more high end, we don't have a consensus on what they actually choose. And we all have black labels. We've all graded them. So, you know, there, there's things I think you look for in centering. And then at the end of the day, you just hope to get lucky. So should black labels command a premium uh, to the extent that they do? 
you know, I personally think they're overrated, but within the same breath, I'm trying to get certain cars in black label. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. You know, the market, you ride the market trends. What was that? They look fantastic. Whenever, like when you, like when you hold your first black label, you're just like, fuck. Like it, it like hits you. In a certain <laughs> it's game. an amazing gimmick so, that like, they have. It's single-handedly yeah, keeping them in business. Like, I need more. I need yeah. more of this. And like, that's where like the unhealthy chase begins. <laughs> I think Tom had mentioned that too. I know he did. Episode. And it was funny. Cause he mentioned that. And that was right around when I did my first order with you. And like, I'm not like going too crazy with it just because, uh, my bank account says no, <laughs> but if my bank account said yes, I'd be going like real wild all the, like I've got the buck. I have a little stack now in that drawer. It's right over there. Mm-hmm. Of just cards I want to grade that I'm going to hand to Chris and say, look at these. Do I send them? <laughs> Where does it go? <laughs> yeah. Like Chris was saying, I don't think we have, because like we all debate amongst ourselves. Like I personally, I tell Chris all the time, like when I'm looking for centering, I always try and judge based off of the back of the card, because like you can tell if a card shifted to the left or to the right, or if it's top heavy or bottom heavy. Um, and then you can kind of tell what the text but a lot of people will use the dragon radar. Like we don't really what that criteria is, but that is probably the number one thing that prevents most people from getting a black label or surface. If there are cracks in the foiling or maybe they leave a thumbprint on there because they were just being careless, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, there's no real, I don't know, way to, to ensure yourself like a black label. You're just, you're sending off and praying. That sounds crazy, right? Like, why why have people not, like, I don't know, like, rebelled? Like, <laughs> are they? I don't know. Because, like, that sounds wild to me. Like, they're making so much money and they don't even have standards for centering. So you That's know, crazy. They could have centering standards, but I why wouldn't can't they release them, them out. Like, why, and, why uh, isn't that just public information? You know, I challenge anyone to look at black labels or 10 centering of the same card and... uh find consistencies. I bet you, you will find inconsistencies on most. Not to say that there aren't ones that are the same, but this is a black label. This is a centering 10. You know, you can have a, a tolerance built in, but some look way different than others. I want to say this, like, don't, don't go onto somebody's Instagram or Facebook post. that got a black label. <laughs> and just start Screw talking you, pal. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 don't, don't do, do that. Don't do that. Not do that guy. Like that is the number one. Like, no, no, no. This was a, a to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, look at the nine point fives. Look at the ten people. Just like this was to learn. This wasn't to to throw shade because at the end of yeah. the day, even if you don't think that qualifies or something else qualifies, that's on Beckett, not the person. The, the whole point was to bring we, players and collectors together, and now like <laughs> we, we created even more of a divide. Yeah, we've ruined we, the Instagram community. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the real there thing, are, though. We got the black label police I mean, everywhere. Like, there are everywhere, but like, and Chris can attest to this, but like, there are people that just get so frustrated with Beckett. Like, I'll, I'll be mad at them for like a day or two after I get shit on, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep trying. But like, some people will just be like flat out disgusted because they don't, they don't realize like it's a lottery system. Like, you might have to try a couple times and to get that right grader, or like, they, it's just, I don't know, it's a hard thing to, to try and pinpoint like there's no real way to know what is true centering for these cards and it really just has to be like from a person to person basis that's nice. and i think that's why some people shift 
towards PSA because they'd rather just take the the easy W and get the 10. So this is the psychology of submitting to Beckett and PSA. If you submit to Beckett, uh, when you get your grades results, you're very excited. You got a 10. Uh, you expect 9.5s. When you submit to PSA and you get your grade results, you get very upset when you get a 9 because you don't expect it. In my opinion, that's... There's, well, no, I should, you shouldn't say that. There's always one sacrifice. Th- there's one, one sacrifice, but Beckett will make <laughs> Beckett that one negligible. <laughs> so... But yeah, in short, uh, I do think the black label is overrated, but here I am looking for them. <laughs> it's generally most people that I know that have black labels, and if they actually are moving their black labels, they'll usually put it as like a times five of like whatever the 10 cost is. But in a lot of cases, like the people that have that kind of money, they're not trying to give away their money. So like sometimes you have to be a little bit more lenient in those kind of negotiations the same way you would like with a metal card or like the championship cards. Like there's not like sales can vary a little bit there. A lot of financial risk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I think, I think we hit that pretty good then let's, let's move on to the next one. Um, I know this was another one you guys wanted to talk about, uh, especially off recent things or comments made, I guess, within the community. It's um, SPRs versus SCRs. Okay, so you, you mind if I start this one? This isn't even just... I'll let they him, both had like a real wild look too. I'll <laughs> let him speak on the more recent events, but this is something uh, kind of a pet peeve of the community and uh, that, that's been dating back quite a while. It starts with Galactic Battle and all the early sets were, you know, our SPRs were equivalent to our SCRs in our case. So, you know... I personally don't see the relevance in the SCR or SPR tag for, from a collector standpoint in the early sets. It makes sense for players. You know, it meant something to you. But for a collector, uh, your availability is one and one with your SCR. So, yeah, it is assigned a different rarity, but the availability is the same. So, you know, whether... And what, so what, what sets are that? Are they the same? Set one, that's set, all the set way one each what, SPR was SCR, six, right? They, they started... They started giving guaranteed SPRs, I think, in World Martial Arts Tournament. So, like around, I think one through one through four in TOP, there's one per, like one of each per case. Okay, and that right? that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's one through four TOP, and then once they got to like World Martial Arts Tournament and like uh, Miraculous Revival and stuff, they started adding like. They they had more, but you still got one per box at that point, right? So you still only got one per case, right? Wasn't one you get eleven? One per case. Yeah. So, so what was that to like set six or it it set seven? No, I think Um, set seven he got multiple. I'm pretty sure. So set six was the last one, right? That sounds right. Four things you were getting one per box, but the sets one through four you were getting them one every. But but you would get one of each per case. You just had less yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah, the ratio yeah. was the same. Yeah. But what you're saying is the ratio yeah, yeah, of that yeah. single card compared to the single yeah. SCR it was the same yep, if yep, you yep. bought it. Because eventually up the SPRs, but you also up the frequency of of pulling, but still one per case. So, you know, I, uh, you had asked a question about uh, set one. You said something. Oh yeah, because because set one there is no SCR. Yep. So they yep. that technically SPRs those four SPRs were just SCRs. So so this is this is exactly where it comes up. It's uh. What does it matter as a collector? 
the availability is the same as one per case. Your cell SPR is the same as uh, cells union force is your Vegito SCR. You get one per case. So as many graded Vegitos as they are, you know there are that many cells in existence. I don't understand the relevance uh, for a collector on the early sets. For a player, yes, it makes sense. But, you know, in my opinion, those SPRs are actually more rare than the SCRs. Maybe not from availability perspective, but from a uh, Jim Mint perspective because people are playing three cells in a deck because they could. You could only play one Vegito if you played it. So not only do you have the same availability, but people are, are playing these more frequently. So I, I think it's uh, a moot point. I don't really think it matters. And I think collectors put a lot of uh, emphasis on SCR, SPR when it really is what it translates to. I mean, our rarity is supposed to translate to how scarce something is. So I think you lose the fundamental meaning of that when you get so caught up in SCR, SCR, or SPR. I absolutely hate when collectors will see an SPR reveal and they'll be like, oh, that should have been the SCR. That should have been the SCR. Like, that just drives me nuts. I knew he'd take a it, different approach. So. It, it just drives me absolutely crazy because right now, looking forward to this upcoming set, this is probably the first time that we're going to have two canon SCRs in a set. And it still wasn't good enough. And it wasn't good enough. There's going to be texture from what we've seen, which was the number one, like the number one collector argument is always there's not enough canon SCRs. It's always GT. It's always Zeno. It's always like <laughs> something else. And they complain about it. And then they'll also be like, well, there's no texture for like something like Peerless. And they'll just bitch about how these SPRs are supposed <laughs> to be the SCR. But now that they have these amazing SCRs, they're just like, they're still bitching. And there's no reason for it. Like there is, you just got everything you wanted. And from a from a collector's perspective, I think it would it's good for them to give you guys like these canon SPRs because it makes your decks look sick, right? Like you're if you're going in and say like I don't know if the new Gohan is playable, but if like you're going in and you're playing and you have like four of those brought out in front of your opponent, like I think that would be like just oh, sick to always. Look. Oh, trust me, trust me. Those who frequent this podcast know the most important thing when you play is not how good a card is, it's how good it looks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will pick decks just because I'm like, I literally, bro, right here, I just bought someone's, I wasn't going to play it because it was worth too much. I just bought the red U7 deck, trying to get in the camera. But yeah, the, the cards just look too good, bro. Like, these cards, look at, bro, look at that SCR. Yeah, and once he gets the God Rare, like, it will be included. Oh, it'll be in there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like bro the deck look, like I wanted to play it so bad like I didn't care how good or bad it was I just wanted to play it but Realm of the Gods the value was so bad I had to sell it but I just picked it up because like how can you not play this deck the cards look too nice so and Colton's I think just they just sometimes are unreasonable like they'll talk about how nice the card is but then they'll complain about like how much text is on a card like it's a card game yeah. they're supposed to be text on <laughs> And they can they can go, collect skillless cards. Like, Just collect heroes, right? Like <laughs> heroes are skillless. But heroes have shatter foils, so they hate that too. But that's the problem. That's the problem, Jimmy. If it's not flippable, like there's all collectors get lumped in. But I think a lot of people are just like there's collectors that like have binder collections and maybe a few graded cards. But then there's like the collectors who are like they're talking about why they're mad about non-canon stuff. It's because they can't flip it. A little more on the investment side. 
Yep. Yeah. And that's what, that's the problem. Like they, you can't just have, if we just went Canon for like every single max, rating, it wouldn't matter anymore. We'd be, done. we'd be done. We'd be done by now. So, so I ask you, cause I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen it in your discord. I see it all the time. Um, you know, people love the SS2 Gohan SPR. If you love the texture, you love the art. Why do you want it to, why do you wish it was SCR? What does it matter? I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't understand if you, if you love the card you love the card right yeah i mean that just puts a higher yeah. price point on it makes it harder for you to get so i don't know what is the motivation we've talked it's a money. lot about greeting. we've talked a lot about greeting in this in this podcast and i think that most collectors should be happy when there's a really appealing spr because your capital being able if you are one of those people that are buying a ton of them to send away and get graded your chances of maybe hitting that black label where that 10 that you really want are much more improved than if you're buying that Vegeta SCR as opposed to like a $12 SPR. I agree. So basically, if you're not excited about that, you're fake, right? Fake fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like you're you're not a collector. Like you have officially gone into the investor bracket, and, right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but be real about it. Yeah, don't don't act like you love the card so much. Yeah. If the value alone is the only like like the way I look at it, if the, solely the value is what changes your mind on a card, then you don't really like the cards, right? Like you could do the same thing. Then the card is no different than if I go on to Robinhood right now and look at stocks, right? Like it's the same thing. I'm not looking at stocks yep. like, damn, that, uh, you know, this, this APL ticker whew, is looking good. Like that's what, no, bro, I'm buying that because last year was a hundred dollars. Now it's climbing to 200 and I could have doubled my money. Yep. And I get dividends like that's that's phenomenal. But like you got I agree. You, you got to be real about it, which is wild. Because... Yeah, there's, oh, go ahead. there's nothing wrong with profiting in the game. And I, I'll never tell somebody not to profit. But like it just gets a little annoying when every single set, it's the same narrative. And it's really just about flippability in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, what's wild is that, you know, even if you are from the investment perspective, the most in my opinion, uh, cars that have the least financial risk with the well, – what am I looking to say? I drew a complete blank. Least risk, highest ceiling. Least risk, highest ceiling, yeah. Um, you know, are, are not really even looked at. It's early set SPRs and, and, you know, tournament promos. I mean, you know, these cards are kind of ignored because they're not valuable today, but, you know, they're they're – absolutely nothing to to invest in right now and you know, your uh risk tolerance is extremely high i mean rather than yeah, buying I'll, I'll give you i'll give you guys an example of like not being just blinded by what other people are saying too like whenever <laughs> i i've gotten caught up, so much i've gotten caught up with like all with like one through nine set stuff and i was like man i was like i i finally am caught up with all this stuff what should i go after next and i was looking at like going through my binders and I was looking at like the leaders and I was like, man, these are so nice. Maybe I should look into some of these pre-release leaders. I bought all of the pre-release leaders from set seven through set nine for under like 280 bucks. Look at some of those cards now. I mean, you, you probably can go to the TCG player right now and buy one Broly from Assault of the Saiyans and like maybe one other card for the price point. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Just to say, uh, collect what you like. You can't predict the market, and uh, if you if you like it, who cares? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's uh, well said. Well said. Um, all right. So speaking of the market, um, we don't have a ton of time to jump into this one too much because I know we also want to talk a little about the community, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about some about buying versus selling. Um, and I know, Dar, I think you, you have brought this one up specifically if there is one or two things you wanted to hit on that. Yeah. So from a collector's perspective and I, I can kind of I get to see it a little bit more with Chris because he buys a little bit more than I do. I'm going after one clean copy. If it ends up getting a nine five, then I'm just I'm living with it until I can make up the difference elsewhere. But um, I, I think for all cards, what collectors are looking for is we're really trying to make sure that we're avoiding the things that are out of our control. Like if you sell me a card that's not really well centered i'm not going to come back to you and complain about something but if you sell me a card that's scratched or you sell me a card that has like a corner ding or something like that then i am going to complain and i think a lot of the times what sellers do particularly on tcg player is they'll jam like 20 cards into a sleeve don't do that collectors despise that if you can (laughs) individually sleeve it i would say do that um, if you can send clear, like, and not everybody wants to do this. And like, I think people probably sometimes lose themselves sales is like just sending clear, clear lighting photos. Like you want to send something to somebody where they can see like what they're doing. You don't want to put it on. Like if I'm sending you a photo or a video, I'm trying to show you as close up as possible. So you can see the details of a card. If you're taking a photo from like this far back, I can't see the details. And I just might be like, you know what, that's not for me. I'm, I'm out. So penny sleeves for everything. Top load it. Team bag it if you have the means to. If not, just don't use scotch tape. If you can try and go with like painter's tape so that the card doesn't get stuck at the top if it slides around. Um, paper white envelopes, fine, but just you know maybe tape it down to the envelope. And waterproof bubble mailers for, for high-end stuff. One of the one of the uh, sellers we were talking about earlier, one of our largest sellers, and I, I know everybody's gonna know who I'm referring to right away. They'll stuff like a billion cards into like these envelopes, and they'll not even have like a penny sleeve. <laughs> Nothing. And like that, that stuff really like it hurts you. Like, <laughs> That's the hermit store. <laughs> <laughs> no, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. Hermit, hermit takes care of you. We're a little better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's the kind of stuff that makes collectors not want to come back to you mm-hmm. like, if you're more likely and the thing is like if you're if it's a collector like me like i'm buying stuff every single set so if you keep me happy with just like making sure even if it's just like a two dollar spr that's individually sleeved, i'm more likely to keep coming back to your store and keep giving you that business so that you don't have to like keep any of the excess stuff that you don't want for me to put in my collection so i'll i'll be honest with you if the card is under like $20, it gets jammed in a sleeve with other cards like every time. And here's the reason though, right? Because if it's under 20, I have to send it plain white envelope. Like, because yeah. it's TCG player, right? Now, if we're doing a private transaction, I'll ship however you want. You're just gonna have to pay for whatever level of service you would like me to ship, right? But if it's TCG player, you're already losing on shipping because if you charge anything more than 99 cents, right? You are now not competitive in the market. People have gone down to like 70 cent shipping just so they can be more competitive. And it's like all a numbers game because it just changes 
what price you list the card at. Right. So like, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. If you're getting big quantity orders and that's like more your thing, then it makes sense to just drop down on shipping to make you more attractive. If you get more like one, two, three card orders, it makes more sense to have the 99 cent shipping. So you don't get screwed. Like either way, you're going to get screwed on some orders. Some others you won't, but so you're already losing, uh, you know, some change on the dollar just by that 99 cents. Then you have to get it to fit in the plain white envelope. And you also have to make sure that it doesn't exceed, um, what is it doesn't exceed one ounce because then you have to use the additional stamp. So now you lose out twice on that shipping. So if I individually sleeve every card, now they also aren't going to fit in the top loader. So now I have to top load each one. Like there, if you buy three, $2 cards from me, right. And now I have to do a top loader for every single one, sleeve for every single one, package that up, put it in the plain white envelope. There's a good chance I'm going to have to put an additional ounce stamp on that, that package that I'm sending you. And by the time I factor in the cost of all those different things, I could have just shoved them in one sleeve, sent them out, made my money, not lost half the money on that sale. And I'll be honest, most people aren't going to care. Cause like, if I know it's a collectible, like my judge, my judge cards, I'll individually sleeve everyone. Cause I know typically that's a collective one. So if it's a pre-release card, I individually, I typically individually sleeve them. Cause I know it's probably like someone that's trying to collect. Right. But if I know it's some playable SPR, I know it's a player and they're not going to care about it. So if they're not going to care, I know the card will still come in great condition. Maybe I did kill its uh, opportunity to get a black label. Like that sucks, right? That sucks for you. But for me, that's like, that's my whole store. I have about 80,000 in inventory. Mm -hmm. So my whole store is just selling these like low dollar items. Now I will say if you message me and you're like, Hey, I'm a collector. Can you individually sleeve them? I'll say, sure. Like, that's fine. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do that for you because you're, you're a customer. Right. And I'll do that. But if you don't tell me, I'm going to shove them all on the sleeve, put them in a top loader. They'll get to you safely and they'll be near mint. Like every time they're going to be near mint. That's what they're listed. Honestly, that's what kind of like what you're talking about is ma the main reason why I buy more so on like Facebook groups and like social media, as opposed to TCG, because I just want to avoid like, and sometimes and that makes sense though. That like, that makes sense for you. Yeah. Uh, like if it's, if it's something I was just trying to like fill out my binder, I'm not going to care, but like say that, you know, I'm ordering 30 random foils for my binder, but there's also like two SCRs in there. Like if somebody's just throwing the SCRs no, in there, never, and they're not never, never. I'm, I'm a little late, you know, like I'm, I'm pissed. Yeah, no, 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 never. Like, and what I will do too, like, cause I, I had this the other day, right? Like this guy ordered like three play sets of like 80 cent cards. And for me, an 80 cent card could be a four cent card. I don't put anything below 80 cents. I think honestly, it's crazy that any seller would do that because unless you're one of the, the big stores and do whatever you want, they're just add-ons. Right. But like for me, I get a lot of orders where it's just an 80 cent card. If I had put that at five cents, I actually lose money. So like yeah. 70 to 80 cents is the number on TCG player that if you sell a single card, you will not lose money. So like, I'm not a big store. I'm not in the business to lose money. I have them up there. If you want the convenience of buying them with your order, you're welcome to, right? Like that's just, that's it. And if you don't want to buy it, that's cool too. Like I just hold, I have, Chris sees them now. I have a million boxes over there of cards, but like I had a guy the other day, he had three play sets of an 80 cent card. And then he had like an SCR or something. It's so like the SCR went in a nice sleeve, went in a top loader. And I put a top loader, an additional top loader on the front and back of the SCR 
take them together. And then the cheap cards got their own separate packaging, just jammed in a sleeve and a little, you know, overshield. So like, yeah. I like if someone's just shoving in an expensive card with them too, though, that's just, that's bad shipping. Like that's just bad service. Yeah. I mean, I honestly try to avoid just buying like a single card from somebody. Like if I'm buying something, I'm buying like a bunch at one time. Like I'm trying to make sure that like I'm giving you like 50 bucks. So there's incentive for you to ship it properly to me. Yeah. And like, you don't feel like you're getting burned on the paper white envelope. But that's why I think like, it's and that makes it for, better though. Cause then I can, I, yeah. I have now, a, cause as, as soon as it passes $20 in my store, which this isn't mandatory by TCG player, but recommend it. I know a lot of people don't, I always track it. So if I track it now, yeah. you get the padded envelope. So now I have room in there that it doesn't matter. I can throw it all in there. The weight doesn't matter as much because for those of you who don't know, you can go up to four ounces and it doesn't change the price. So like all my packages just say four ounces usually, cause unless you're going like crazy on a cards, it's probably not past four ounces, but so I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was just a good point. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I, for, I think it's important for collectors to try and kind of help each other out. Like if, if I see something in your shop that I want, I'm probably going to message you directly rather than buy it for you on TCG. And if I, like, I, I think it's good for collectors. Like if, if you're a collector and you don't have any friends that are players, you're doing yourself a disservice because one, they're going to be able to help you understand when market spikes are going to, go up and down like what we were talking about in the beginning of the game because their market is different from our market um and then two like a lot of the times like if you can just message them you can get the the videos and the angles and stuff that you want to see if you are going to go the grading route yeah um, i mean that, i mean you know that that makes a lot of sense to me because like i imagine players have these cards and they're just sitting right because like a lot of times well players are the people who are buying like cases all the time like cases fly i've i've opened a case every set since set seven i think i don't yeah other than like when i stopped playing because my car accident i've never not missed a case like i just get a case every time just yeah you know i'm good for a case <laughs> like because yeah. i know i need these cards like I, I need them and then i flip the rest and i make some of my money back and it makes it a little bit easier to play I recommend it to every player. If you can get your product on release day or if you can get it on pre-release day, even better buy a case. Cause like you're, you're only, when you talk about this big financial barrier to enter the game, I get it. If you don't have the down payment to put down on that case, like if you just don't have the seven, $800 to drop to grab it, but yeah, I understand that. that's okay. That sucks. Right? Like one day we'll get there. I promise. But like, if you're not there yet, that sucks. Well, once you're there, you just, put the $800 aside, you buy your case. And by the time you sell all the crap you don't need and keep the cards you need it, you end up probably paying 50% of the value or better. I've had a lot of sets. I just, my whole deck's free because the, yeah. the singles of the case paid for it. But Grading game is exactly the same. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a gong. Yeah, grading game is the, the same strategy. I mean, you, you want... Uh, cards to pay for your entire order so it doesn't always happen but you know it cuts down on the the overall cost that you had up front on the black label or the 10 or whatever you had so you know you may yeah. spend two thousand dollars but you're not actually losing two thousand dollars it's just the cash flow yep always cycling very similar so um okay well cool well oh, oh the other thing too i was gonna say with shipping so i do use scotch tape but you seen how I package my orders tape. though. I never put the tape where any card could ever touch it, right? 
And I know that makes yeah. some people mad. I probably should get painter's tape, but I haven't, I actually haven't looked in the cost. So I have no idea the cost, you know, analysis there, but I make sure that when I package them, I either use a penny sleeve or just a piece of paper folded over the top. And then I tape that yeah. to a part where it can't touch the sleeve. And that's sufficient. If you do that, that's okay. Um, also, it's nice if you leave like a little tab, if you are using like tape like that, so that it's easy to pull up because otherwise you have to like either like slit it with your fingernail sometimes or like, cause it just can be a pain I know, in I the butt. That. No, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to fold a little corner, you know, give them a little, yeah, I do the little pool tab or if it's the paper, you just pull the paper and it's whatever. But. But, but I mean, I can tell you right now, like people, if you're sending like SCRs and stuff like that and you're putting tape on it, you, no. you're, you're, you're playing with fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, they get the, they get the team bag, the triple top loader, the padded on, they, you know, they, you should be getting the works if you're buying an expensive card like that. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's then talk about the community some, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, I'll just pass it over. I think this was Chris's main topic. So I'll pass it over to Chris. Yeah. Just kind of a, a top two, uh, positive and, and kind of more of a pessimistic perspective, negative views of the community. Uh, you know, my, I think one of the best things about being in the collector community is just, uh, the networking I've, yeah, I didn't, uh, build an Instagram until I, I had uh, my son and it was kind of like a quarter life crisis. I was like, I, you know, I'm, I, <laughs> I have paternity leave. I got this baby that won't sleep. I need something to do. I, I've always loved collecting Dragon Ball. I mean, Jimmy's been around for all of that. I might not have been uh, a high and graded collector, but I was a collector of, you know, I was a binder collector. I collected yeah, places of everything. You got a while back. It was like Storm era, right? End of Storm? Set six. T- tell under Everyone Storm. was playing... Uh, Cause I just I just remember you showed up the Comic Kings one day and Mike handed you a Storm deck and he yeah, was like yeah, yeah this is my friend Chris he's really smart <laughs> and like we played and I was like you really never played before everyone was playing a uh, Broly with Triple Flash I think oh Triple yeah 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 it, it was around that time okay all right so yeah it, it was right after Storm but the deck was still people were still playing a variant of it um yeah so networking has been really good uh it's been very extremely easy to to build my collection up with just the people around me. Uh, wouldn't have been able to do it without an Instagram. So that's probably the the most positive thing that has come of uh being integrated into this community. Oh boy, um, no yeah, positives for him. <laughs> <laughs> he said this shit sucks. <laughs> all, all I can think of is the negatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, I, I mean, I've been on Instagram now, and like I said, like I started off with like Pokemon, like getting back into Pokemon in like 2014. So like, I went through Pokemon, I went through Pan, Pansy, I see Cardass, like we did childhood Cardass, all that stuff up to to DDS. So I, I do think networking on IG is probably one of the most beneficial things. But I think one of the things that we're going through right now is a transition period from content creators like you, Jimmy, where like like me, like in the early stages, like before. DBS was so big and I feel like it really kind of turned the corner around Universal Onslaught when it's people started getting interested. Um, but I remember like talking to Tom and just being like, like, how do we, how do we get like the players to like become like our friends? Because when I was looking on like the Facebook groups, like players were just like shitting on us. Like they didn't want yeah. anything to do with us. We were buying too much stuff. We were making the game worse. Um, but it, like, we, you know, we were just trying to fill out our collections like anybody else. And it just, 
it, it put a sour taste in a lot of players' mouths. But I feel like guys like you and Joku and Tom, um, these content creators are really trying to bring the community together. And I think we got to keep doing that. Like I said earlier, you need, as a collector, you need to have at least one player friend. If you don't, you are doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And I think that's big. That's something that I've been trying to do, especially like I never really understood like anything about collecting. Like I have always collected everything like Chris knows, like I have almost every single card. Like I've always had them like from the start. That's been like just my thing. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I just, I've always been a hard collector. Yeah. Like I just, I like the cards. I want them. Uh, Max rarity decks. I mean, yeah, that's a form of it. That's a form of collecting, right? Like you want to see those nice cards, yeah. like the spoils. I still own at least one of every copy of every spoils card that was ever printed, including a card that was one of 20 that was only given to employees. Like I just, and that card's a token. Like it's not even a playable card, right? Like, so it's just a collector's piece, but um, yeah, like I've, I've always wanted, I've always collected and it did suck when like players are shitting on collectors. Cause I'm like, damn, like I kind of do that though. <laughs> like, like, they're like, they're like, you're buying out these cars. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I don't like buy them all out to grade them, bro. But I don't know. Like I got a bunch just chilling in my binder that I'm not going to sell you just cause you want to play with the card. Right. Like, uh, I was like, I, I need to look at my nice binder numbered in order from like one to whatever the set number is and be like, these cards look nice and put it away. Cause you know, for some reason that gives me joy. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think that it's important that we bring those groups together because players can learn a lot from stuff like this. Players can learn a lot from collectors and they can use that because at the end of the day, like money makes the world go around, right? Like you can say you're not in it for money and that's fine, but you still need money to buy those cards, right? So like if you're smart, you're using this to gain some money and like build that cash flow like Chris talked about. So that way you can keep cycling it and not be out of pocket $500 every set. Maybe you go up 50 bucks. Maybe you put another $50 down, but the rest of it's just cycling. But you have to be smart to do that. And if you start understanding where collectors are coming from, you can make more educated plays on the market. And collectors, if they can understand where the players are coming from, it's just like when I talked to you about those random cards they needed the other day. You were like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I've got friends with this bulk yeah. like laying around. Like, I, I, you know, I can help you find that. But collectors would have no idea that like player there's players right now looking for foil ancient wisdom gurus from clash like collectors would be like why the hell do you want that card yep. right like it's some fat dude on a chair <laughs> like it's the most unappealing card ever but like players are like damn i need to max rarity this namekians deck right now before prices get out of control which they already are so i agree and ultimately we're all doing the same shit like we're all doing the same thing we're all just buying cards because we love the card game it's just a different way we express it. So that's the uh, perfect segue into one of my negatives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, like you said, I think there's a big divide between the player and uh, collector community, and I don't think there's enough effort uh, from either to understand the other. And um, one thing I don't like is how both markets seem to move independent from each other, and it makes absolutely no sense. Um, you know, you know, if you have a, a Celzino or you have whatever card, you know, a collector likes to assign a multiplier onto the raw value. Uh, so if you're paying $500 for a Celzino because it's playable, they're going to assign a multiplier on that $500 because that was cost to them, investment cost. But when you get something banned and it goes to $50, $75, you know, you still see the BGS 10 is listed at the same price. And so I, I think it moves independent. Uh, the markets move independent of each other and, 
I wish that was a little more cohesive. And you can't explain that to a collector that doesn't understand that aspect of it. And uh, so that, that's that's one of my, my big negatives. I don't like the, the independent parties. Yeah. No, makes sense. Oh, man. I think probably for me, one, one of the biggest negatives. <laughs> I, I really just, I hate when people are just talking about how they're going to Hey, you, uh, your audio cut out. We can't hear you. It's not coming through discord at all. It looks like you're, you got muted somehow. We heard you hate and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) We we knew that. (laughs) Yeah. We can't hear you at all. (laughs) Oh, it it came back for, there you go. You're back. No, you're not back anymore. (laughs) Well, I don't know what happened, but while you try to fix it, um, Chris, do you have anything else about the community you wanted to mention? Yeah, I mean, we were going to do two. So, I mean, you know, more on the pessimistic topic. I hope I'm not taking Dars, but, you know, there there's a, a habit of, and we touched on this earlier. Uh, try, try, and leaving, try and leave the Discord uh, channel and just come back in maybe. You know, um, kind of criticizing people's, grades you know you see someone with a black label and you'll have a a fellow collectors players whoever they are uh black label police pristine 10 police whoever always got something to say about you know their grades and and whatnot so i think that's very toxic behavior you know someone's posting because they're proud of whatever can you guys hear me you're back (laughs) chris was talking about their toxic toxic behavior behavior behind Yeah, being pristine ten, uh, black label police. You know, if if you don't agree uh, with it, you know, keep that to yourself. Take it out with Beckett or PSA, but uh, it's no, re- let, it's let no people relevance. be happy with their dub, right? Uh, unless you're the owner of a black label awakened power, and it has uh, a direct implication <laughs> on your value because there's now three of them, it really doesn't mean anything to you. So in that, from that perspective, uh, I'd get it, right? Because I just killed the market value on your card but you know <laughs> other than that you know it's just mind your business with it <laughs> yeah um, yeah people, Darf, people should not be running up on people's posts talking crazy it's not cool if you uh want to say your point and then we'll uh we'll move on to uh, there are a couple of viewer questions and then we'll we'll close this out um i think the negative for me is just when people complain about the lack of Canon SCRs and how they're going to like boycott sets and stuff like that, <laughs> I just think it's, I just think it's nonsense. Like we want this game to continue to grow. Like we want to be on the same wavelength as some of the other big games, right? So you just gotta like maybe get the maybe get only the cards that you really want, but don't just bash the game publicly. Like it's it's no good for people who are trying to get in because then maybe you're saying like the lack of Canon SCRs is going to like affect like this game long term. Like that makes people pessimistic. We want to keep getting people in, not push them away. Great. Yeah. There's a really fine line you walk, right. With like being critical of something you're passionate about, but not also being so negative that you make it seem like the whole thing is bad and people mm-hmm. shouldn't, shouldn't join in. Right. And like for me as a content creator and other content creators, I think that's like 
almost like a responsibility that we have where like, I think it's important that we're honest with the game. Like people know I'm, I'm very critical at times. Like <laughs> I can, I can be pretty negative about the game or Bandai, but I try to always turn around and like remind people like this is going on, but this game's still so amazing. We're still here, right? Like we've weathered it yeah. since set one. Like we're still here. Cause this game's just like, the cards are beautiful. The game is like one of the best, like, I know people might th disagree, but I think it's one of the best design games. Like, like the core mechanics of the game are just incredible. Um, yeah, you do. You do got to play. It's a great game. It is. So like, and as content creators, you know, we have a voice no matter how big or small, you know, and, and I think it's important that we use that to try to hold Bandai and the people who do make the decisions accountable, but also, to make sure that we're doing what we can to bolster the community up and like draw people in and keep the game growing because I think that's really something that, you know, Bandai actually has done more with marketing recently than they have before, but it's really content creators are a huge reason for the game's growth where we've gotten it to, you know, like people like Joey and Crossworlds, people like Tom, uh, for, for collectors. I mean, all these different people, super players, you know, I got it, got to shout them out since <laughs> we use their song as your intro. Um, but these bigger content creators, you know, Aspira, Android, all these people, they're a big reason why the game is growing too. So, you know, it's like great power comes great responsibility, right? Like we have a lot that we have to balance where we need to be honest. We need to be critical. We need to try to drive the game to a place we want it. Um, cause we love it, right? Like, if like Chris is my homie, right? So like if Chris is fucking up, right? Like Chris Chris is doing something I'm like, bro, you are fucking up right now. Like you need to chill. Right. Like I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna be critical as hell of him, right? Cause he's one of my good friends. But if there's just some person I just met that I barely know at some tournament and someone's like, damn, bro, like he's doing this thing, he's fucking up. I'm like, okay, like fine. But like when there's something you're passionate about that like you have a vested interest in, right? Like you're more critical because you want them to be the best version of themselves. So like with Dragon Ball, some of us are so passionate about the game. Yeah, we do get negative. Sometimes we do get critical, but I try to always bring it back to like, yeah, but I played 30 games this week when I've only been like, you know, gave up sleep just because I love the game so much. So I think it's important people to realize that, but uh, cool. He's like looking tired. All right, sweet. Well, Guys, that was that was an amazing discussion. I think our listeners are going to get a lot about that, a lot out of that. I think that you've really uh, you've really did a good job at helping people who maybe wanted to be collectors or understand more to really break down some of the more intricate things that players would literally never think about with collecting. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns more people on that are players to wanting to do both. Which I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's a slippery slope to try and do both. Uh, uh, I wish you the best of luck though. Uh, <laughs> I, I do it uh, when there's a local tournament, which is now, <laughs> I mean a local regional. So yeah, <laughs> I, I can't put the player hat on that throughout the entire year. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to pick one over the other, like primarily, but mm -hmm. you know, you can do yeah, a little I, bit of I both. For you guys, why? Like, well, I, I mean, my message to both of you guys, cause I was interested in that fest guy. Like why, does Europe get 19 events and North America gets three? Bro, that makes no I don't know. That was Everyone's insane. mad about that. Like that's stupid. Like everyone but, agrees that's stupid. Like, like there was North America is the most popular region. Like that isn't even being like, Oh, USA, like America, you know, it's like we, we just had the most players, right? Like our tournaments yeah. always get the biggest turnouts. 
So why would you limit the amount in the most popular region? That, it doesn't that, make any sense. That, that's a very uh, layered argument too, because that you know that goes to Nats prizing and everything. Yeah, yeah. People are getting prizes. You go to fifty player like, tournaments. You still have like the same top sixteen. People? Well, yeah, it's bro. It's like all right, like Australia. Like no offense, so I have friends in Australia in the Discord, right? Like shout out to my boy Matt. He top Nats, right? Like I tested with him the night before. Uh, top Nats, um, great player, right? But every good player in Australia should have, should have a medal card. Like if you don't have a medal card in Australia, you're probably not a good player, because your nationals has forty people. Yep. So there's 40 people in your country playing. If you didn't get top 16, you're almost just definitively in the lower half of all players, right? Like you have a lose, like that's crazy, right? And I mean, I'm not trying to shit on people who didn't do well. Like keep doing your thing, keep grinding. Yeah. But the road was easier. The road was way easier, and right? It's kind of reflected in uh, kind of the asking price. When you look at uh, a U.S. winner and, you know, overseas winner, a lot of times that's yeah. where people go and get their cheaper medals and, and prize cards. So it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It's trash. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's absolutely no reason for me to buy a deck and to never play it if there's no I mean, I don't play local, so if there's no regional, I just take an L. Every every set I have to allocate time to learn it and You gotta get in the webcam regionals, man. No, no. <laughs> so I mean that that is an option and that that's you know, that's on my myself. That is there. I just don't I don't have the space. I don't really care to do um, that. Before we finish too, Dart, you had brought up before like the prizing for regionals and why, uh, I, I what, what was your question about your, you, you kind of referenced something. I just didn't it. understand like why a region that wasn't the United States, like North America only getting three to me and then people winning prizing that only had like to play like six or 10 people to me. I just thought it was like silly. Like, I don't No, I mean, we're earlier. talking about like, the fest fest kite, but I, I was talking about like way way earlier in our conversation. Tournament like promos. You talked why. about like tournament yeah. promos and like why like uh I can't remember exactly what your question was, but it was basically saying like like the incentive for playing in a tournament, I think is what you were getting at. Oh yeah, yeah. So like for, for collectors like that, the only way that I have access to that stuff is through you guys. Like Yeah. So like I'm if like if you're a good player or whatever, you have a collector friend that you know will pay that because they want to add that to their collection. I, I think it's I think it's good for like I should probably learn to play so that I can actually just try and save myself some money. Yeah. But um, like I just think that the prizing is so good and there's so many promos. Like Chris and I talk about this all the time. Like collectors have no understanding of the promo stuff. It's mainly set stuff. I've noticed. Like, outside of the very, <laughs> there's just so many of them. That's probably why. Yeah. yeah. Outside of like the very top tier promos, collectors have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, and the pricing is really good. I tell everyone that plays this game, they say, oh, I need to wait to enter a regional. Bro, I, all right, I entered the webcam regional for this year, right? We've only had like two or whatever. That one regional cost me $30. My Android 17 alone, that one card sold for $70. So these people saying the game is, you can't afford it or it's too expensive. You can literally enter a regional, go 03 drop, and just make a hundred dollars to put towards a deck. And if you have six regionals, there's $600, bro. You can pretty much play any deck you want for $600 almost. You just can't be picky on rarity, right? Like you might not be able to max rarity at depending on what SCR you need, but like you could play most decks for 600 bucks. So, or at least get pretty close. Right. So, um, so yeah, I agree with you. Everyone should be entering these tournaments to get the prizing. 
I will say this season, the, the high end pricing was a little bit worse than normal. Uh, you know, we've got regional winners that just aren't as desirable. They don't say winner on them. They're not cards that people really want. They lowered how many you get for topping. So there's less motivation for players to want to play these out. They're really just playing for their invites. Um, so I do wish that that was a little bit better, but the participation pricing is amazing. Like everyone should be playing collectors. You should be just signing up because you can just go on webcam and just give your opponent the win. There's no, no rule so against you're that. You're saying I'm failing. You're failing hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. You're, you're losing out on free cards every time. <laughs> I'm never motivated by free cards. <laughs> then you're not losing, right? Then, then you're winning. Then, yep. Yep. then it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, now, actually, Jim, one one question for you: like, um, with like Digimon, they've been doing like those online regionals, and they sell out literally in like a minute. Yeah, is it a similar setup for DBS? Um, in the past, it has been. Yeah, uh, this time around, they, it wasn't. But in the past, it has been. I, I don't think they should cap the player amount. They kind of have to. Um, because it affects how many rounds you're going to have. So like, if you don't cap it and like, say like their cap tripled, like the tournament's never going to end. Like it's going to go on for so long. So they kind of have to, I will say some caps in the past have been smaller, but I think it's because they've been testing the waters of online for at least for DBS. We never had it before COVID. So I know like they're like Gen Con, there is only 64 player cap in each one which was incredible. I topped every single one. Like that was amazing, but 64 is way too small. Right. So like you, you have to, I, I agree. There has to be like a, a bigger amount, but where we're at right now, I couldn't see it going too much higher, honestly, for a webcam, like too many things can go wrong when it's online. Rounds tend to take longer. They have to work out through technical difficulties when like someone's cheating, they got to get everyone in a voice chat together and like flesh it out. It takes longer to do de- like everything just takes longer. So that, that's the reason, that's the reason why. Uh, but I think the, the real answer though, is just host more, right? Like get, get people like me who have a discord already just say, Hey, no, you can run a regional, just like make it, let tournament organizers have more access to running these tournaments for them. Cause what is it to Bandai, Mm -hmm. right? Like if the demand's there, the demand is there. So, and obviously there has to be some kind of limit cause like, then the, the winner cards lose value. It's like, there's so many different factors, but we could definitely do with more. Like we had no tournaments this month. Don't lose April. players by uh, not taking advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But anyways, let's, uh, let's move into the questions that some of the listeners have, but before we see what Monaka has in store with us, got to give the shout out to Manscaped. You can see if you're on YouTube, by the way, we're on YouTube right now. So if you're listening on audio and want to see all of our beautiful faces, uh, you can go on YouTube, but check out the code. It's right down there. Manscaped. Um, Manscaped is an amazing sponsor of the podcast. They support the show. They're the best in men's below the waist grooming. Uh, look, I own the lawnmower 4.0. It is actually one of the best razors I have, bro. Like it look, 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 bro. Like imagine like you got to take care of family jewels, right? Right. I'm watching. I've been watching OG Dragon Ball recently, bro. Bro, You can be looking like Krillin's head. (laughs) I mean, you got me at lawnmower. There's literally a light on there. Like there's a light, bro. It just guides the way for you. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it is actually like a high quality razor. And um, they actually, you can get actually additional blades. 
So like if you do want to use a razor for like your face too, you can like change out the blades for what you want. It's actually, it's a very nice quality product. They got a new limited edition one right out right now. It lights up purple for a really good cause. So you can check that out. Um, but yeah, check out Manscaped. Again, they're a great sponsor of the show. They, uh, the craftsmanship on it is just next level. You can join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with an exclusive offer they have just for you all for being listeners of Hermit Style. You can get 20% off and free shipping with code HermitStyle. You just go to manscaped.com, put in your order, put in the promo code, and boom, that's 20% off, free shipping. Manscaped.com, use code Hermit style, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I got a special order on a pallet of sweets for Jocko. Wait, aren't you Monaka? Monaka's delivery service. All right, so this is the part of the show where we take a few listener questions and um, and answer them, right? So uh, I put in the chat, I, I should have probably made this more public. I just put it in the collectors channel in the Discord, which, by the way, we need more collectors in there. So if collectors are listening, you know, supporting the boys right now, jump in the Hermistyle Discord. I'm trying to get that collectors channel popping off more and get more discussion going in there. And I made it just for just for everybody, you know, in the community. Like, Instagram is cool. You can comment on pictures, but like, it's hard to have an actual back and forth discussion, right? Like you can comment in response to someone or you can make a private group chat. But, uh, I did make that collector's channel so people can jump in and discuss the game. So definitely jump in there. And I put it in there that, you know, we'd have some collectors on and we did get a few questions. So we'll start off with Luis. He's a uh, patron. So shout out to Luis for being a patron. I always try and make sure to answer one of your guys's questions on the show. He said for the collectors, do you still value signed cards by voice actors of the anime? So I guess I'll, I can take this question. You take the next one. The next one's better for you. Um, personally, I, I wouldn't. I don't assign a, a premium for a, a voice collector uh, or a voice autograph. It's just it's kind of extremely niche. So you know you have to find the right buyer. If you you know your your that is your uh, anticipation to get a premium. Um, the only time I'd pay a premium for a autograph for Dragon Ball would be if it was like some original uh, Toriyama art and you got Toriyama's signature, something like that. That's um, interesting because I, I would have never thought of that. That that would be really dope. Something though. like that is very exclusive. I, I think that there's enough conventions and and you know uh, Christopher Sabat and and Sean do enough signatures and a lot of times they do it on the face, which to me you're not you're losing value there. So, yeah, they're um, not really people hate the face signatures. Yeah, extremely niche. I mean, there there are people that'll pay premiums for it, but honestly, I wouldn't get it with the intent to sell it for a premium. I get it because I just enjoy that voice actor and I want it to autograph. Cool. Well, there you go, uh, Mister Cards in Hand, the Frieza God, one one of the only Hermit Gods in the Discord. That's uh. An insane level. Uh, for, for those who don't know, like probably both of you, uh, <laughs> um, when you interact with Discord, like you gain levels. And like uh, Luis is the only person in the Discord who's ever passed me. Wow, My own Discord. He's a higher level. Like you only get experience with like interacting and doing things. And yeah, he. so he, I told him the Discord's his. Like that's it, bro. I love the Luis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I He's do, the I, homie. I've done my best at uh, being more active this week. So I, You made it to level two, level bro. Two. He's level two. I'm level two. I couldn't uh, write in Monaka's delivery service. but You, know, <laughs> you got to be level seven. There. You got to be level seven for yeah. that. Um, I'll step my way up to level seven. <laughs> So the next question is from Pokemon Z Collector 86. Uh, he said, for the collect... <laughs> uh, Who is that? 
I, he, he may want to say instead for the collectors <laughs> for the mythical Saiyan Dark Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Why is Chi Chi the best mother in Dragon Ball, and how did she support Gohan?" <laughs> Quick answer: She's not. <laughs> she, she's the like people think I hate Goku, and it's not Goku; it's his wife. She ruined their son, and she ruined him by extension. <laughs> Uh, he told me he was going to do that. <laughs> right answer. Yeah. Yep. There we go. There we go. Um, I'll get one more for the players for this episode. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll hit one for Majin Collector. That's Phil, also a patron. Uh, Phil, also a, a regular in the Discord. Great guy. He said, for regional season, is it better to grind with a rogue pick or to build a meta deck? Um, I'll be honest, Phil. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It really depends on your goals and what you want to do. If you found a rogue deck that has a spot in the meta where like you can take down, like if you're picking a rogue deck, you should be able to at least beat 50% or more of the top tier decks, right? Like you got to find that in. So like if there's like three top tier decks and you found some rogue pick that can beat two of the three consistently, then sure. Like if you want to take that, that's probably fine. Right. Um, on the flip side, if you're just like, no, I don't want to take that chance. I want to build a meta deck. I think that's fine too. I think the point is you just have to grind with it and know when to stop. Like if you picked a rogue pick and like you've flushed the deck out and it's just, it is not on the same level as like, like, you know, right now you're trying to test against KP. You're trying to test against Trunks Jita. Uh, you're trying to text, 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 test against Yellow Sin. Um, decks like that. And if, if it's consistently losing to all of them, then no, like you got to put it away, look at another time. But I mean, look at Mike, right? Mike is a perfect example. That man like refuses to play meta. Like, he's going in and just like crushing people with these wild decks that no one's ever heard of. His player skill is so good. I was thinking that I was like, and Chris said this too, like this guy just needs to play the best deck because he can probably outplay most players. He, he probably just literally top every event, no matter the level. But you see him still have really great success with a rogue deck because he grinds with it and he finds the in and he knows when to move off of it, right? Like Yellow Jiren was his deck for a while, but he knew when that was time to like, okay, it can't keep up in this meta, and then all of a sudden, boom, here's Blue Baby, right? And now Blue Baby still should be a top-tier deck, but it's considered rogue. So, like I said, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer for your question, but you do just need to grind with that one deck. I think it's a bad idea, especially as someone up and coming, to try to just experience every single different deck because you won't master it. You know, find the deck that fits you, Find it if it's a rogue pick and it works, master it. If not, and it's a meta deck, master it and know the mirror. That's the big thing. If you're going to play a meta deck, you have to know the mirror match because you're basically going in saying, I'm the better KP player or I'm the better Trunks Jita player because you know you're going to play against that deck. So hopefully that helps and gives you some some insight to your question there. But uh, but that wraps us up, guys. Any last words, shout outs, anything like that? Uh, I'd just like to shout out to the collector community and, and you. For having us on, I appreciate it. No problem. On here, man. I want to keep trying to bridge this gap between players and collectors, and whatever I can do to help in that part, I certainly will. Awesome. And uh, where can everyone go follow you on Instagram? What are you, drop? What are your usernames so they can go follow you, or anywhere else? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys are on like other, you know, YouTube, anything like that. But pl plug yourselves. Go, <laughs> hey, Chris. Uh, C Irv collects. Just go on uh, Jimmy's Instagram and you'll find me. And I'll post links too. I'll post a link to it. But go ahead. 
mythical saying, Dar Gib. But if you're gonna come on and and you know criticize my black labels, we don't want you. <laughs> Actually, one one last question for you, Chris. What is the number one black label? I mean, this coincides with what I think the number one card is, and that's Hope of Universe Seven Goku. I'll do a quick. Yeah, I got a quick one minute or nope. so. Bro, we're way over, so it don't matter. Go so, for it. So, so you know. Awaken powers at the top right now. Hope Universe uh, Seven is not, but if I was an, in- okay, you know, some of this I do take as an investment uh, perspective, right? So, I sold my PSA Ten Awaken Power to buy a BGS Ten Hope of Universe Seven, and I did this because, uh, you know, their qualities are very similar. You know, the only difference is there's a lot of characteristics that are attractive for a collector that make something collectible. Um, Awaken Power was our first appearance of Ultra Instinct Goku, and it has a victory strike uh, keyword. Hope Universe 7, uh, first appearance of Ultra Instinct Omen, and has a signature on it. So, you know, to me, neither one's winning there, neither one's winning on availability, but Awaken Power is double the price and double the pop for BGS 10. So, very easy financial, uh, to me, decision to go for the Hope of Universe 7 for perspective value and not a Awaken Power. I mean, I tend to agree with you. I, and I think there's there's less graded of Hope of Universe 7 at this point, and I don't, like, I don't expect them to ever go up anymore, whereas I could see people still trying to chase, you know, the Awaken Power in 10 or whatever. Um, I don't think either of those pops will go up. Um, and we, we saw today, right? god rare got a black label from somebody mm-hmm. so i'm kind of curious if that hits the market what kind of uh price point it'll be because we've seen at least the um the goku sig has been sold three times now i think since my buddy pokey mew shout out to miguel um graded that card nice all right well any anything else guys before i close this out no, I'm good. Hope U7 <laughs> is number one, and uh, it's not even close. All right, the real number, the real number one card is the Nile of Hope winner. That's it. <laughs> Show's over. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be upset, but uh, <laughs> it is a beautiful card. Uh, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know this was a lot longer than we expected, but uh, y'all were troopers. So thank you for well, jumping fun. in. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this again one day. Yeah, I got the real one.